Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. Growing up, Mohamed Faisal moved around a lot. Originally from Bangladesh, his family arrived in Queens when he was three. With constant rent increases and his father's bad credit, the family of six couldn't afford to stay in one home. This was his first experience with the power of financial literacy. After graduating college, Mohammed decided to solve the lack of financial knowledge plaguing disadvantaged neighborhoods, and in 2016, he created the Money Hub. Money Hub has since helped over 4,000 public school kids all across New York City, giving them a powerful understanding of how to obtain financial security. Today, Mohammed and I speak about his work with Money Hub and why an early education in money management for our children is imperative to creating financial equality in their adult lives. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Mohammed, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Christine. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm thrilled to have you here. I think financial understanding is something that can really change the the construct of this country and, and really bring equity to all. And as you know, we're experiencing such a gap between that. And well, I know today that you're learning about the Money Hub is going to help us solve that. Yes. And it's something that me and my team We've experienced from within the inequity of education throughout New York City, being the finance hub of the world, yet raising a lot of youth who are going to go towards adulthood without the right tools to succeed or a level playing field. And that's something that we believe in at the Money Hub, to be able to level the playing field. Uh, We want them to go on to achieve their dreams and whatever it is that they want to do without money being an obstacle. Well, Mohammed, we first met at the United Nations where we both spoke about having conscious entrepreneurship. And I remember being so struck by your work and and the power of it. Can you go into what the Money Hub is and how you came to create it? Yes. So the Money Hub, uh, we're a startup that teaches financial literacy throughout disadvantaged neighborhoods of New York City. And our goal is to go nationwide and the international as well. So the way that it got started, you know, you alluded to about my experience as a youth with my parents and us struggling through gentrification and through a lack of knowledge that's being provided throughout the public school system here in New York City. Even at a high school level, where I went to Brooklyn Tech, which is one of the top schools in the city, the public schools in the city. And even there, it was not something that was readily available for everybody there. It was something that was like maybe an elective 
are provided specifically into um, certain majors because that school has where you choose majors before your junior year. I forgot which major it was in, but it was not something that was provided to more than 90% of the school. And this is a school with my graduating class was like over 3,000 kids. So it's a huge school. I think it's the largest public school in the country. Yes, it is. It's one of the top schools in New York City. Uh, many people vie for it. And it's shocking to me. Now, I, I'm much older than you, <laughs> but I too never had it. It wasn't something that I was taught. And, you know, by the time I finished college, I racked up probably $15,000 in debt on my credit card. There would be times when I couldn't afford my rent. You know, I worked my way through college. And so then I would take the money out of my credit card, not knowing what the interest rates were attached to it, not even knowing how a interest rate was configured, right? And it took me about 10 years to pay that debt back. So obviously, I mean, this is incredibly important. Can you explain how this affects our immigrant and low-income households even more? Yes. Specifically for uh, immigrant households, I would say a lot of the time when you come from it, you're expected to uh, provide for your parents and for your family because these are immigrants that came here that sacrificed, you know, having better jobs in their country to work remedial jobs here to provide you with food and shelter to be able to have the education that they were never afforded. So a lot of the times, a lot of immigrant kids, they feel the pressure to have to give back to their parents and to provide and become the main breadwinner for the family out of college, a lot of times straight out of undergrad. So in that case, something like credit card debt can really set you back to where, you know, you're not able to do that. Or if you a lot of times have to pay for your education or the costs that come through education where a lot of times, you know, you're not taking out loans to cover your everyday cost. Maybe, you know, you, you might be, but um, at the same time, while you do that, you know, it could also mean having to then get a job while you're going through college, which you did Christine. So you understand that while you're doing that, it takes away from your time of being able to study more or to put college at the main focus or to get involved with student life or mm -hmm. other programs on college campus. So it can have a really, a real huge chain effect that can be felt years down the line, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from the moment that you graduated. So we expect a lot of 18, 17, 19 year olds to make these huge decisions they're going to impact 10 to 15 years down the line for them with zero knowledge of when it comes to money and kind of laying out everything that goes forward. There's so many kids that I run into who doesn't understand the difference between credit cards and debit cards. A lot of them still view uh, credit as free money, essentially. And interest is something that they don't really have an understanding of that, how it compounds and how it, uh, you know, can be years for you to pay back a balance of maybe $2,000 could end up being years, two, three years for you to just pay it back. If you're making yeah. just minimum payments each time, which may be all that you are able to. 
based on the money you have. So these are a lot of traps that we've recognized for 18 year olds or first time college students who then have to go on and have to take it on and kind of fall into these pitfalls. Imagine all that stress on top of a regular college stress of getting A's or passing. And then the stress of well being able to provide for your families. So it's just like a lot of mental health things can come up when you lack financial knowledge. And that's something that high schools are just not preparing their kids for. Yeah, I think high school, college, it certainly, I don't think it's taught in private school. I don't think it's taught in any schools whatsoever. And I do, I think that this, what you have created here is a game changer. And I have to also wonder, Muhammad, do you feel that it's done on purpose to not teach our kids about this? I think so. I think at the very least, high-level administrators within the educational system are not incentivized to do so. Now, this is just one experience of mine, but um, I'll speak on it a little bit. A principal that I met in 2016, 2017, when I was just starting out, and a couple of the teachers in that school brought us in during their health curriculum time. But they they finished covering the curriculum, so they asked if I would come and be a guest speaker and do financial literacy workshop. So I went for four weeks in a row, and I did our curriculum at the time. And it was a lot of fun, and we had a lot of engagement with the kids there. I did a pro bono for them because I really wanted to make that impact at that school. And then uh, when I met with the principal, he was like, we're going to go the route of providing uh, access to uh, the – financial aid section of the Stanford financial aid website or something like that, which was exactly what we were going against. You know, yes, the resources are all available and all are out there, but if you don't actively engage the students into it, then the only people that are going to find those resources are the kids with the parents who told them to go look for it or made it something that they would turn into a priority. So it really leaves a lot of kids to slip through the crack. So I feel like a lot of administrators would rather go with the easy fix, the cheap fix. Yeah, which is just so unfortunate. And I mean, I do see that, obviously, I mean, having a seat at the table at this is getting harder and harder. And as you and I talk, we're having protests now and obviously I mean before years of I mean there's so much wrapped around it this inequity and I honestly believe I do th- I mean the, the things that I've discovered in politics and in business and it's always comes around money and power and not having a full understanding of that and then even if you do happen to fall into money understanding how to manage that. We've heard so much about, say, someone who wins the lottery. Like, let's say you are one of those people who wins the lottery. How many times have you heard stories about people losing $5 million? They usually all go broke or end up killing themselves. Why? Because it's like the solution to this problem is not just giving people money. I mean, that could be part of it for people who could really, like, because I'm, I'm a big fan of what Andrew Young proposed the current candidate of having a universal basic income. I think that's very necessary, especially as jobs get automated and people end up losing jobs that 
otherwise helped cover their entire family's expenses. I think having a universal basic income would go a long way in securing a future for all Americans. And that's something that I truly believe in. So I don't think just giving, handing out a lot of money to people is something that's going to solve this problem. It won't, but something like a basic income is part of the solution. But then financial education is one of the biggest percentage of the solution there. I too am a big fan of Andrew Yang's. And for people to have to understand the basics of it, And that credit card, um, like you said, is not free money, of which so many of us have felt, uh, you know, I raised my hand to that. And then, like you said, you know, taking years to pay off, not understanding why I couldn't make a, a dent in it. And my own mother, who was very successful, but was never able to, never taught me. You know, I understand, you know, we have this value of money and it was like, so you have your birthday money and then once it runs out, you know, I knew, understood that, but I just didn't understand the basics. Not until I took, um, there is a wonderful program that this city offers, New York City. It's called Workshop and Business Opportunities. You know, it's for anyone in the community. They have workshops all over the city on how, how to run a business, what that means. And they, they took me through everything. So I'm interested, Muhammad, can you share with what you tell the kids or how you teach the kids this and what their takeaway is? Yes. Just to uh, kind of go off of the point you were mentioning about your mom, one thing that I've noticed and that we've seen consistent throughout places that we've been to from Far Rockaway to uh, Washington Heights is that a lot of parents, they feel too embarrassed about their financial situation to talk to their kids about it. But it's like, you don't have to be the most wealthiest person in the world to be able to offer financial advices to your kids. Because guess what? Your kids, they look up to you. You are their hero, whether you know it or not. And for you to have the opportunity to talk to them, even something like financial pitfalls, if you just talk to your kids, because you don't know, they are observing you. They are watching you. And if you just take that moment to talk to them like, hey, this is what I did. I messed up, but I learned. And this is the correct way of doing it. And just being able to have that talk with your kid is something that will impact them for the rest of their life. So that's something that we encourage the parents of the kids that we end up teaching to talk to them. And we also encourage the kids to go back and talk to their parents about what they learned in our session. And the way that we teach in our session, we try to make it a very open forum a very comfortable environment where they could talk about any conceptions, not just misconceptions or what their beliefs are in money, just like throw it out there. And then we help them to kind of steer them towards the correct conception or the correct facts on what they think it is. So that's why a lot of kids feel comfortable talking about, oh, I thought credit card was free money or uh, I don't know what a credit score is or i rather have a car than a house, but then we break them down, the difference between the two assets and which one is more valuable, which one makes you more money and which one is a depreciating asset. That is so important. Personally, my uh, son is 13 and is a big gamer. And I love that you've incorporated gaming into your app, but he uh, really loves to spend money on these apps. Yes. 
Right. And my friend and I were discussing about how our children spend money on something that is intangible, right? That they don't actually have something in their hands to be left with it. And we try to explain it. And there's even been episodes on some of his favorite cartoons about the ridiculousness of it. What do you teach kids about that? So in that sense, we tie that into talking about assets. I think once kids understand what asset is and how it can benefit you in the long run, they will treat purchasing things a little bit better in the sense that, you know, you see a nice car, let's say a Lamborghini, for example, compared to a a two-family house, which do you think they would rather pick? More often than not, they're picking the Lamborghini. And I don't blame them. It's a nice, flashy car. You see it, you want it. And you don't see the value in that home. It's just like, it's just a basic two-bedroom house. But then when you break them down into like assets are things that you buy that will ultimately make you money. So if you buy that home and you mortgage it, you don't have to pay for it up, up front entirely. You pay a monthly mortgage after you pay the down payment. Let's say you put 10% down payment on it and you're making monthly payment of 2000 let's say for the entire home and you live on the first floor and you rent out the second floor for 2000 so now you're living here for free and you're paying or your your renter is paying towards an asset that's going to be yours and guess what once you have that asset and a mortgage or while you're paying for it even banks are more interested in lending you out loans Loans, and what are you going to do with loans if it's only going to be more debts? Well, what if you take out a business loan and start your business? So now not only are you living for free and paying towards an asset, but you also are able to start a business for essentially free since you're getting a loan. And then you could pay off that loan, but then you also have another asset now, which is a business. So just being able to understand that, that ultimately what you're going towards is building security and things that you can able to pass down to your kids. And things like that. So that's something that we try to get them across. And then also we do talk about the in-app purchases where we break down what is this new style of gaming or buying things, which is that they offer you the main thing for free. And then you buy things in the app for essentially experiences. So yes, your kid is not paying for something that he could tangibly hold on to, but he's paying for an experience. So if it's something like in Fortnite, for example, he ends up buying a skin which allows him his character to look a certain way. And then he gets more enjoyment value out of that game. So the way that we really uh, break it down is what do you value? You know, at the end of the day, you're going to make financial decision based on what you value. So if he's doing that because he really values that experience, then we try to get it across that that's nothing too wrong. But you got to understand that Are you using your disposable income towards that? Or are you using money that you're taking away from your food or your savings or your rent? Let's say, for example. So I think giving him a budget and just really showing him where his values lie, because if he can figure that out, where his values are, he'll be able to understand better why he's making those decisions with his money. And then if he's able to do that, he'll then be able to better plan and set goals. Thank you for that. 
one of the things that we decided to do was to take his birthday money and to put it in the form of a, a credit card that we could get at Dwayne Reed and he can use on his own. Before, it would be that he would decide he'd want a purchase. He would then give us the cash and then we would pay for it. And we, it didn't seem to give him ownership, although it might be the same thing, right? And I've noticed that it's a little bit different. Now that he's in complete control of it, he's a little bit more hesitant about what he's going to, you know, put that on. He has his own credit card. And, you know, in these kids, you know, he, he can get an allowance and we're trying to, you know, teach him that. And I think that the children, there's so much value on things now at this age, right? Whether it's clothing or, or skins and Fortnite and stuff. How do we get them to understand the value in that, like you said, you know, that that house, I feel like you you did touch on it, but is there any way, or is this just something that we're going to go through with material things and purchasing? I think the the value has to be something that it's like a journey, the way that I look at it throughout life, you know, like Christine, I'm sure your value now as a mother has changed since your values in college and i'm sure your values from in college or the end of college changed from your values when you were at the end of high school so i think just allowing him to kind of go through this journey but one thing that's great that you did was that you allowed him to have a tool that he's gonna have to use in the real world which is a card a credit card or a debit card whatever it is that you got to put your money into and then you see your actual money going towards actual things. And then just learning that at some point you're just not going to have all that money to be your disposable income. So I think just getting it across to him that the money that he has right now and is using is his disposable income because he's not paying rent. He's not paying electricity. He's not paying water. He's not paying transportation. He's not paying for food. He's not paying for grocery. Maybe he's using it to buy snacks and stuff like that, which is cool. But just, I would say for him to understand that that's his disposable income, that uh, at at one point you have to budget for other things, for main things. And then you're also going to have to put away for money for emergencies, which is very important because you never know what, what happens in life. So, so just, I think having him, maybe just sitting down with him and kind of going over like, you know, what is the some of the main things you value right now as a 13 year old and what do you want to get out of being 13 or being 14 or what do you want to get out of, you know, Fortnite and things like that. Maybe he's buying those skins or maybe he's playing that game or making those in-app purchases so he could um, play that game or spend more time with his friends virtually, which, you know, not, there's nothing wrong with, but just, you know, then sitting down with them and seeing like how much teaching him to track his spending right now. I think is a very valuable skills that he could apply at any part of his life, even as his values changes, even as he grows up and he has more responsibilities and things like that. Yeah. I think you know, you also brought up the what's an asset and when he makes purchases. So we had a big, um, we went through many years of Legos. I would imagine thousands of dollars in Legos and um, over the years, all the gifts and everything. And we kept them. And 
what I taught him to do and what I do in my own life is that when we're done with things and that we take care of them, that you can, there's many things that you can resell. And Legos happens to be one of them. So we were able to package up and he, I had him and we photographed them and we put them in bags and all of this. And he probably made about $900 in the Legos that we had on eBay. And I think there's just these wonderful other sources of income and understanding that some of the things that you buy. So if someone like a young woman may want a fancy designer handbag or something, that some of those items can also, you know, I try to teach them instead of just accumulating more that we have other stuff and not only get rid of it, but why not sell it? You know, it's hard to have a garage sale in New York, but eBay does a pretty good job. Yes. Uh, Gary V. Something that he talks about a lot is reselling things. This is something that probably I wouldn't recommend a 13-year-old kid to do just because it's, um, you know, you'd have to meet up with strangers and stuff like where you could find things on Craigslist where people are just giving them away for free, whether it be the furniture, usually it's furnitures or other things or uh, household equipments that you could then just, you know, sell on eBay. You could just put it up on eBay or even Amazon and people will buy it. So um, there you can make, you know, money essentially for free. There's many ways to make money. And, and one of the main tools for that is your smartphone. And you can do so much from your smartphone nowadays. So just being able to show him all that, I, you know, you brought up a great point about, about things having uh, resale values, which is huge. Something like a designer hold their value over time. And uh, things like, you know, baseball cards or sports paraphernalia, those tend to uh, go up in value over times. And the same thing with Legos and, and holding their values. Yeah, they, it didn't go up, but it still, I was able to, we got a fair amount. Also Pokemon cards. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I, I remember when I like kind of went off of that phase of like having Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and kind of going into sports. That was like around fourth, fifth grade. And I ended up selling all my cards. I made good money at the time. But if I had held it to right now, even, they would be worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Hopefully my son, he'll listen to this. He knows how to use that against me. He'll also say, you know, oh, if you get this, it's kind of going to increase in value, right? <laughs> so tell us. So I know you're working on a new app. Can you explain what that's all about? What it's going to look like? Yes. So this year... We were uh, going to have our entire curriculum, which was a a 12-week program once a week, covering anything from setting goals all the way through to uh, retirement and things like that, but just breaking it down and making it, you know, user-friendly and and friendly for kids. And we were going to do that until COVID-19 hit New York City, and uh, we had to cancel our uh, programming across our partner sites in Brooklyn, Queens. Manhattan and the Bronx and the summer. So I got the team together and we, you know, went over and we were like, how could we continue to serve our, our partners and our students during this time? And after this time, yes, we are coming off the quarantine, but remote learning is something that's going to be quite effective in teaching kids now, especially as uh, schools. Cause one of our worry was, Technology inequality, you know, where kids don't have access to internet or maybe have access to um, iPads or or laptops. 
or phones. And that was our worry at first. But then once that we saw that the city has met this and have been able to deliver to um, kids who are the most vulnerable, that we figured how could we get the things that we do so well and so powerful in our in-person sessions into a digital version that we could offer and then be able to scale as well. Because now after this app gets built, we can not only serve New York City, but we can also serve anywhere in the U.S. and anywhere international as well. So with that in mind, we figured this was our natural step in our evolution forward. So then we took that and uh, we started digitizing our curriculum. And then we are building an app right now that you could do remotely where we would provide an access on a subscription basis to our partners at any high schools or any middle school. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have different levels of what you learn, like beginner, intermediary, and expert. But we're going to call it level one, level two, and level three. And we're going to basically gamify it because now it's not only, you know, you're learning, but you're also playing a game essentially. And that's something that stems from, you know, like games have great interaction between kids to be able to get kids to interact with their material. They're very successful in that. And also, if you ask a kid to uh, tell you the the map of uh, Grand Theft Auto, they could tell you that off the top of their head because they played it and they, you know, whether knowingly or unknowingly memorized it. That's just one example, you know, other other games, you know, for younger kids. Same thing. So, you know, if they could remember that, what if we put in the same format? Now, could they remember, you know, credit score? Could they remember how to invest? Could they remember how to apply for financial aid or how to differentiate public and private loans? Yeah. Things like that, which are very important. So so that's what we're doing right now. We're building something that is essentially have been unseen it's something that um, that we haven't seen anywhere and no one has used, but we've taken elements from other things that exist and we melded into something that we've had feedbacks from. So essentially the workshops that we did in person prepared us for this because we're building it based on feedbacks that we got from the kids that we did our in-person workshops from. So we're not building with a theory, we're building with feedbacks and that's our goal with it right now. So. We hope to launch by September so we could provide access to our partners and new schools and other principals that reach out to us to have access on a subscription basis for level one to every school and uh, partners that reach out to us. We're going to build a capacity for that right now. And it's going to be moneyhubnyc.io. That's going to be the website so they can use the desktop version. And then the app will also be available on both uh, iOS and Android. So there will be no um, barrier to uh, use for any kids. And then all the institutions have to do is that they have to purchase a subscription and then they provide access to their kids. And then the institutions could track how the kids are doing and see where they're at. And then they're also then provided the data of where their strength lies and where their weakness lies and where they need more help in or more time. And then also within that group, let's say Boys and Girls Club purchases our subscription for the fall. 
and they provide it for their students. So their group of students would then not only be working on it, but then the quiz section of the app, they earn points as they do it. So there's like a leaderboard, just like in games of like, you know, who has the highest score within the class. And then what we plan on doing is the top three scores or the top three leaders in there. We're going to provide them each with Amazon gift card and hopefully also a medal, like a bronze, silver and gold medal for the top three in each. So like, let's say boys and girls club, the top three leaders from their, their program. And then the brotherhood sister soul in Harlem, the top three from theirs would win. So, so everything that we did in person that worked and that was really appreciated by the kids. We're going to then do that in the app on a scalable basis. So we're actually building something that is taking us from zero to one, as Peter Thiel would say. Yes. And making it fun for the children as well. Yes. That's incredible. Can you tell me what age groups that this app? So the age group will vary from, I would say uh, middle school seniors, so eighth graders, all the way to uh, high school seniors and further up. But that's been our our target audience is to get high school students and middle school seniors for the most part. Because even if it's something that's built for, let's say, middle school seniors, if you're a high school senior or a college freshman and you've never been taught this stuff, then you don't need harder stuff. You need the material and in the simplest way to learn it. And that's something that we've learned from our feedback when we did a workshop out in Far Rockaway where we worked with um, middle school kids and then uh, elementary, so fourth and fifth graders, and then we worked with seventh and eighth graders. And the materials that we used for the fourth and fifth graders worked the best with the seventh and eighth graders. They loved interacting with them. So we saw that, you know, to keep it fun, to keep it informative, and to keep it simple, those have been the key. So so really our level one is targeted towards anybody who's never really had financial education or just to have a good baseline to go off of as they move forward. So I would recommend that. Our main target is high school students, but we do want to work with uh, middle school seniors and seventh graders as well, who I think could benefit from it as well. And also college freshmen could also benefit from it. Are you able to tie it directly into their own experiences? Because I can see that your experience with your family and your witnessing your father's bad credit and then your mother's ability to repair that, to buy the home, was a huge influence on your life. And I can imagine that right now, many of the children that you teach are experiencing a lack of income because their parents aren't working due to the COVID-19 virus. Yes, the examples that we use are very much, you know, relevant to the background that they're from, whether that be, you know, talking about issues that come up when you're low income or when you're an immigrant household. So we used that in that sense, but then also some of the things that they get to interact with, because there's there's interactive portions within the app where they could essentially go through examples or put in their own situations, and then the rest of it gets determined based on that. 
So something, I'll give you an example. So one of the games that we have installed there is, well, actually, I'll go off the budget. So the budget, they could design a budget that's exactly catered to their needs, where they put in their their income. Maybe they could use it for their parents if that need be. And then they could put in the expenses and they could look at their parents' ex- expense or they could look at, uh, you know, next year, maybe they're a high school senior and are starting college. They could look at their expenses from that end and then they could look at how much money they have left over. 20% of it automatically goes into emergency savings and the rest of it, you decide where you want to put into, whether that be, you know, savings for a vacation or savings for um, maybe textbooks and things like that or savings for moving out or getting your own apartment. And then that budget then gets mailed to them as a, their email that they provide it as a PDF. So then they could always have access to that. They could print it out or they could keep it on their phone and it could just always go back and reflect on it. And that way they're armed with tools that they could actually use in real life outside of the app. I would imagine that many of the children that you teach have an awakening of sorts at some point when you're teaching them. Can you share any experiences you've had on that? Yes. So one time I was teaching at with TRIO, which is an organization in Brooklyn College. They're actually a nationwide organization, but they provide uh, extra uh, learning opportunities for high school students from uh, low-income backgrounds. So they were providing uh, programming for kids from the Crown Heights area on the Brooklyn College campus. So I was working with them, and this was in the summer of 2018. They were the first organizations where where we did our entire curriculum with them. And then I spoke at their graduation event at the end. That was my first speaking engagement, and it was amazing. So at that event was this one kid. He looked like he was very into sports and stuff, and he was just super quiet during the class. But then every time, at the end of every session, he would just walk with me as I am getting off the campus and he just loves talking to me about investment stuff the entire time. So he would ask me like, what are some tools do you use to uh, research stocks and things like that? And what is some brokerage accounts you use for it? And, you know, I was so happy to be able to like give him some of those insights. And he was just, he had an awakening at that time and I'll never forget him. And I hope he never forgot me because he impacted me as much as I impacted him in the sense of how could I do something better? How could I serve him better? And how could I serve others like him better where I can get them into understanding that they're in control of their money future and there's things that they can do that will get them out of whatever situation they're in into the situation that they want to be in. So that was an amazing moment for me. and I'm very appreciative of the kid. How wonderful. It is always, I think, that any of us that are are in... Um, the work on being the change, it's those moments that are just really um, the reason why we, we do it all um, is helping others, right? To give others a leg up. Mohammed, we have to wrap up soon, but I would love to know, what is your why? I ask everyone who's been on the show, um, whenever they come on, like, this is hard work. I'm not sure if it's a nonprofit, but I'm sure it, you're doing it to keep an overhead, but not be the next Bill Gates, right? You keep up getting up every morning 
to be the change and to help these kids. Can you share with us why? Yes, absolutely. So uh, just to give a background, we are a nonprofit right now. We actually have a 501c3 as well. The app that we're building, however, is going to be under for-profit since we need to have investors involved to get it, get it built. And yeah, so that, that one separately, it's a for-profit. But the, the work that we've been doing since 2016 has been nonprofit. And yes, you have to have a huge why because for 2016 and 2017, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the programming I was doing, I was doing it for free just to, you know, show the value to some of the organizations. And a lot of the organizations did see the value and there was a couple organizations that didn't, but that didn't stop me and that didn't, you know, stop our team. And the why is really to be able to provide, like you said, a leg up or uh, in my case, a level playing field for kids like me and like the kids that I grew up with in New York City and beyond or in other major city and metro area who um, are either from an immigrant or, you know, low-income background who you know, may feel like that they don't have all the tools to do what they want to do or need to do or have all the resources to succeed in life. And my contribution to them doing better off is to be able to teach them to where money is not an obstacle or an end goal to what they want to do and the dreams that they want to achieve. So I want to see kids like me and others from low-income and immigrant background go on to live their dreams and live a successful and happy life. Thank you, Mohammed. That is incredible. You're an amazing human. And I, for one, am grateful for you out there being the change. Mohammed, before we go, can you please share with us one more time how we can follow Money Hub and support your work? They can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook at Mohammed Faisal, on Instagram or Twitter at Mo underscore Faisal, F-A-I-S-A-L-L. And also for any schools that want to reach out, our website is not live yet, but they can go check out moneyhubnyc.org, which has our background and our story and everything. And they could also reach out to me personally to my email at Faisal, F-A-I-S-A-L, at moneyhubnyc.org. And we are going to launch in September the app. So it'll be available for subscription. So they could uh, get in touch with me about the pricing and everything. And it could be seamlessly added into their curriculum and into their uh, remote learning programming. So yeah, please reach out to me and I'll make that happen for sure. And uh, if there's anybody interested in angel investing in us right now, because we're at the very beginning of building it, they could also reach out to my email, Faisal at moneyofnyc.org. You know, I'll be I'm pretty swift at responding through there. Fantastic. I can't think of a more worthy organization deserving of money and investment and investing in our youth for today. So thank you again, Mohammed. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.